Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. And base my base. Three lines from the top. Itmar. Shritas para bizar. The slaughter of the paraduma may be performed by a non coin. Rabbi Ami Amikshera. In the event that that's what happened, it is kosher, according to Rabbi Ami. Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha Omar Psula. In the event that the Shrita of the Paraduma, the slaughter of the red heifer, took place in the hands of a non kohen Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha is of the opinion that it is invalid. Ula Omar Kshera. Ula says it's kosher. And a different version of Ula is that it's invalid. So either he agrees with Rabbi Ami or with Rabbi Yitzchot Nafcha. Also Rabbi Yeshua bar Abba l'siyue l'rav. Rabbi Yeshua bar Abba had a question against Shmuel that was a support for Rav. Rav and Shmuel have his disagreement. Let's see Rashi. His siyue de Rav. De Omar para shchitosa bizar psula. Rav is of the opinion that the paraduma must be slaughtered by a coin. If a non-coin slaughters it, the red heifer is invalid. Shmuel disagrees. So Rishubar Abba brings a b'raisa, that's a kasha, against Shmuel and a support for Rav, which also stacks up l'chera with the machlokas between Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Yitzchok Nafcha. Ainli elo hazos memeho she'ein k'sherin be'isha kivo'ish. I only have the case of the sprinkling of the red heifer ash mixed with water that is not to be done by a woman, like by a man, meaning it must be done by a man. The ein k'sherin ela bayom. And also, the hazah, the sprinkling of the red heifer ash water, must be done during the day. Minayin l'rabos shchitosa, the kabbalas dama, the hazah's dama, v'srefasa, v'ashlachas eitz erev ve'ezov, u'shnisolaas. How do I know to include all of these processes in the preparation of the red heifer, how do I know that all these things also have the same status? So let's go through them one by one. L'rabos shchitasa, the slaughter, which is the focus of our discussion, as well as kabbalos dama, the receiving of the blood of the red heifer, v'hazos dama, and the sprinkling of its blood, v'srei fasa, and the burning of the red heifer, v'ashlochas eitz erev ve'ezov, and the casting of the cedar wood and the hyssop branch, u'shnisolas, with the crimson uh, wool thread. How do you know that all this is subject to the same restriction? Tamalomar, Tara. Pasuk says Tara. Let's read the Pasuk for a moment. 
Zos Chukas Hatara. This is the statute of the Torah. So the introduction to Paraduma, the red heifer, says Tara. And the Limud of Tara, Rashi says, let's catch up on the Rashis for a moment. It must be done by a man and by the day. And he shall sprinkle it on the third day. All of these processes, how do I know they're also subject to the same requirements? They must be done during the day. So the point of this b'risa is really focused on day. That all these processes are subject to the stricture of day. They must be done during the day. And the point that they must be done by a man, that really doesn't require the drasha of Torah because each of these processes is accompanied by either the word Elazar or the word Kohen, which implies a man. Vezaz Dama, the sprinkling of the blood, the blood must be sprinkled seven times facing the tent of meeting. The derivation is from the introduction of the Torah to Paradumo, Zos Chukas Torah, Torah Achas Avodasa. That the process has a continuity that is found throughout, which is a fascinating drasha because, as we'll see, it's far from a simple uh, a simple equation. That that drasha is quite limited. Talmud Lomar, oh, back into the Gemara. Yochol shani marbe afasifas afro umilu mayim pekidush. Once you're saying Torah achas, that the teaching of Torah tells you that all of these processes must be done during the day, so perhaps I should include more. There's also the process of gathering the ash and filling up the water into the vessel, and the Kiddush process, the sanctification. Rashi, let's just turn for a moment to Membeza Medalef. Rashi says, Le Kiddush, what is Kiddush? Bottom Rashi. Hinesinas Maim Al Ha'efer, that is the placing of water on the ash. Uma'arvon Yachot. And then they are mixed together. So that is the process of Kiddush, of sanctification, mixing the ash into the water. All of these processes, do they also need to be done during the day? No. The word zos tells you a limitation. This to the exclusion of something else. So we learn 
Torah to extend Torah achas, some continuity and similarity between the different processes, but Zos tells you that that is only taken so far. So the gathering of the ash, the filling of the water, and the pouring of the ash onto the water and the mixing of them, that is not something that must be done. All these processes do not need to be done during the day because of Zos. Okay, so we understand that there's a drasha of Torah, which pushes us in the direction of saying that the various stages of preparation for the red heifer are of similar requirements. And we have a drasha of Zos, which is working in the opposite direction. It's a limiting factor. These things, this, must be done in a certain way but to the exclusion of other things. But how do you know which process to put in your Torah bag and which process to put in your Zos bag? So the Gemara continues, right, We have a Reba and a Miut. So how do you know which way to go? So we have a clear understanding that you have these two contradictory pushes of how to understand the process of paraduma. So we are encouraged to learn from Hazos Memeha. Hazos Memeha will be the Malamed. Let us make the, the basic equation focused on the sprinkling of its waters, the, the red heifer ash mixed with water. Let's see, Rashi. After the Torah clarified that we do have a ribui and a mute, but it's unclear which process is to go in which direction, so the Torah is giving it over to us to contemplate. What is true? And what is straightforward? So we know the Torah is giving us the clues to this puzzle, and it's up to us to figure it out. The din of sprinkling of the red heifer water is invalid if done at night. That is explicit. So we'll use that as our Primary paradigm. Kesiyat has a different gear. Some mufurish ba concerning it. Okay. Mazos memah enon kshirin boisha kiboish. Just as the sprinkling of the water, of the red heifer water, mixed with ash, is not valid if a woman does it, like if a man does it, meaning it must be done by a man. The ain kshirin ella bayom and the sprinkling of the red heifer ash water must be done during the day. So too I will include into this grouping the slaughter of the red heifer, the Kabbalah's Dhamma, the receiving of its blood, the sprinkling of the blood, as Rashi said, and the burning of the red heifer, and the casting of the cedar wood, and the hyssop 
with the, the dyed wool. Hoil the ein kshirin beisha kibaish, ein kshirin ela beyom. Since they're not kosher, it does not work. It's invalid if it's done by a woman. It must be done by a man. They are also not eligible to be done at night. They must be done during the day. Umotsiani, and I exclude Asifasafra, the gathering of the ash, umilumayim, and the filling of the water into the vessel, vikidush, and the sanctification process where the ash is poured into the water and mixed. Because these processes are valid if done by a woman, like if it's done by a man, so therefore, so we'll say these three processes that are we know are kosher by an isha will also be kosher at night, will be valid if done at night, like by the day. Rashi. As is taught later, Velokach Ezov Vitova Bamaim Ishtar. It says, and he shall take the hyssop and dip it into the water, a man who is pure. So it must be a man. And Gemara asks, after all is said and done about this brice of a high might what exactly was the question? Rashi explains, Lishmua. Right? This was meant to propose. A question. Rabbi Shubar Abba brought this brisa as a support for Rav and a question against Shmuel. What is the question against Shmuel? Inemo midiktoni shchita psula beisha psula nami bizar. If you say that it's because the brisa taught that the shchita, the slaughter, is invalid if a woman does the slaughter. It's also invalid if done by a non-Kohen. The Gemara continues, If that's the implication from which you're trying to derive a question against Shmuel and a support for Rav, so, that's not valid. Because the sprinkling of the water of the red heifer ash We'll prove it. It is not permitted, it is not valid if a woman sprinkles this water to affect the purification process. And nonetheless, it is kosher. It's valid if done by a non-Kohen. So the equation to, to present to imply that we know is not correct. This is the question. Again, Shmuel. What is the reason that a woman is excluded? It says, Elazar velo isha. Pasuk says Elazar. Elazar was a man. So, Elazar and not a woman. Zarnami Elazar velozar. So, as much as the exclusion of a woman is from the term Elazar, who was not a woman, he also was not a Zar. So the same source that excludes an Isha will also exclude a Zar. And it's not by virtue of the fact that, by definition, if an Isha is excluded, a Zar is excluded. We see that's not always the case. But because in this case, the source of the exclusion is Elazar, 
So the exclusion does teach you both Elazar are not a woman and Elazar are not a non coin So all that is indicating to us a support for Rav and Akasha on Shmuel. And Rav is the one who says that Shechitas para bizar is psula. So this Brisa says Elazar are not zar. That's the the way Abai learns. Isha, back in Rashi, Isha Maitaimo, Minole the Shrita Psula. Where do we know that the Shrita is is invalid if an Isha does it, if a woman does it? By the halacha of receiving the blood and sprinkling the blood, it says that Elazar the Kohen shall take from its blood of the red heifer. Hainu Kabola, that is receiving of the blood, vehazah, and the sprinkling, and nochach pneumoi, facing the tent of meeting. Hainu hazasa, that is the sprinkling. Vitsreifa nami, and the burning also. Le'el, minoxiv, kohen, vahadar, v'sarfes hapara, le'enov, de'alazar. By the burning it says that, in the, in the process of burning it says kohen, so the kohen must be involved, and it says that the, the cow must be burned before Elazar to the eyes of Elazar. Also by casting of the wood of the, the cedar as well as the hyssop. It says Kohen in the context there. But what we're left with is wondering what's the halacha of the shechita? How do we know one way or the other about shechita? So Bai fills us in, Elazar velo Isha. The drasha is from Elazar, by Shrita, and not an Isha. Al Karchach Vishogarasolafanav Elazar Kadarishla. And we're forced to say that the Paraduma, the red heifer, must be slaughtered before him is going on Elazar Akoin. Must be slaughtered before him. And the Tana is darshning like Rav, not like Shmuel. If you would say that the verse is to be interpreted, that somebody else, a non-Kohen, may shecht the red heifer, and just have Elazar supervising, which is how Shmuel learns, if that's the way he learns, then how do we know that a woman is exempt from being eligible, is not able to make a kosher shrita? So it must be that the author of this b'risa is dashning from Elazar, and he's not learning like Shmuel, that it means with Elazar supervising, because Elazar can supervise an Isha as well, if that would be valid, it must mean, if you're saying there's an exclusion, then it doesn't mean just supervision, but it means Elazar himself. So, so the same way that the Tana of this Brisa is excluding a woman, saying it's not a supervisory role, but Elazar himself is doing it, so too we'll say that it's excluding Azar. Elazar himself is doing it, not just supervising, and a non-Kohen is ineligible to slaughter the Paraduma. Amar Ula. Ula said, Kol ha-parasha kula, the entire Parsha of Paraduma, 
Mashma motzi miad mashma. It sounds, in terms of the flow of the verses, that you have uh, cases where the first case in in the sequence of events is one context, and it's overturned by subsequent verses. So you have a a shifting uh, set of rules, if you will, between stages of the process. But as well, you also have that it's it, it has a continuity, that what was said before is continued in the next stage. So paraduma is not so straightforward in the sense of all one way or the other, which would make it easy. But you have these two paradigms which are at work, and what the rule is, is beyond me. I don't know what the rule is, but sometimes you have one verse, and then the next verse is overturning that set of circumstances with which it may be done, and sometimes the next verse is working within the same structure. Let's see Rashi. Kola the entire uh, portion concerning paraduma, shall para kemo shavadoseha sedudas zuachazu, and the Torah speaks about each of the orders of its service, how to prepare the red heifer. Mashma miad mashma umashma mamela. So he said, it sounds sometimes like it's overturning the previous teaching or context of how to do it, and sometimes it continues in the same vein as was taught in the previous verse. Says Rashi, when you're looking precisely and carefully, there's no way to smooth out in one holistic sense a pathway to read how to go about each stage, one following the other, in which they're all flowing sequentially within the same framework. They're not all the same. Some of the procedures, that the, the way a verse sounds is exclusionary. It's, it's a shift from the previous verse. What in this verse is invalid, the next verse says is kosher. Or what this verse said is kosher, the previous verse said was invalid. So you have that shifting uh, context between procedures, one verse and the next. And there are certain verses that flow in a straightforward manner that the rules that applied in the previous verse are continued and maintained for the next subsequent verse. That the way it sounds continues in place for the next verse, the next procedure. And it does not overturn what was described by its companion verse. And based on the order, what is a case 
where one verse overturns the previous verse, and which verses flow in a way that it seems to maintain the previous verse. And now we're going to get into it and see this diversity, although it's still, we, we don't have a, a grand theory of everything to explain it, but we will see it in action. Let's get into it. Unasatem osa el Elazar hakohen. Pasuk says, and you shall give it to Elazar the Kohen, the Paraduma, the red heifer. Osa leElazar velolodos. This one, the first Paraduma, the first red heifer, should give it, be given to Elazar, but this is unique. It is not to be replicated in future generations. Velolodos leElazar. Ika de Amri. So how, how do we interpret that? What does that actually lead us to for future generations, which is, of course, very relevant? Some say, Some say in contrast with the first paraduma, which says it shall be given over to the hands of Elazar, the Kohen, in the future it needs to be given over to the high priest. Even though at the time we had Aaron a Kohen, still... For the first paraduma, it was given over to Elazar. But in the future, it should be given over to whoever is the high priest in place of Aaron. That's one interpretation. And alternatively, there are those who say that the contrast is that unlike Elazar, who was the Sgan, he was the second in command, if you will. Rashi says, Shu Sgan. So he had his own elevated status, and it was given over to his hands. In the future, so any Kohen can do the job, even a Kohen Hedyet, not just the Sigan, which was required by the first Paraduma when Elazar did it. According to the opinion that after the first one, it can be done by a coin head yet. So this last opinion we saw, Shape, that goes well. But according to the first opinion we saw, that the first processing of the red heifer must be done by the Sigan, but in the future it must be done by the coin Godol, who is of higher rank, the high priest. How do we know that? Gomar, Chuka, Chuka, Miyoma Kippurim. That is derived from a limud. It says chuka by paradoma aduma zos chukasatera, and it says chuka by yom kippur. So by yom kippur, the avoda must be done by the kohen gadol, and we say it in a similar vein chuka for paraduma. That's according to the opinion that it is not given over to the hands of the kohen hediot luderus. Let's see Rashi. Goes well according to the opinion that a lozer was required the first time, but subsequently a coin hediot may do the job. It's intuitive. The Torah doesn't say anything that would indicate that a lozer is being chosen. In a, in a manner, uh, for, as a sgan or kain gadol, 
it, it's mashma, if anything, that all kohanim are eligible henceforth. So we, we don't find a, a scriptural support at the face of it within Paraduma that tells us that going forward, not a Lazar, but it must be something limited. It's mashma any coin. That's the way Rashi learns. That the opinion of Lederus includes kol hakohanim. So just to calculate, to speak it out, bepemole, what does it mean kol hakohanim? Not only the sigan, not only coin gadol, also coin hedyet. Anybody who is a coin can do the job henceforth. That is the way Rashi learns. And Lachera, that is the way the Ramam is going to learn. In Hilchas Paraduma, Perk Aleph, Halochit Aleph, the Ramam writes, Av Kohen Hedyit, Kosher Lesreifas Hapara. Even a regular coin is eligible to burn the Paraduma. Shenema, Nasatemosa, El Elazar Kohen, Vadain Aaron Hayakayim, the first case the Torah speaks about the preparation of the red heifer. It was in the presence of Aaron and it was given over to Elazar. We have we have Torah that this one was done. The first one was done by Elazar. Going forward, it's kosher whether it be the coin gadol or whether it be coin hadith. So when it says the af coin hedit kosher, so I would think that the simple reading of the Rambam is that all kohanim are eligible, meaning af, including not only a lazar, but even a coin hedit, and certainly a coin gadol. So I would read the Rambam like Rashi. We do have a cholek, though. Rabbeinu Hananel disagrees. Let's see Rabbeinu Hananel. Omer Ula. Kol ha-parsha kula mashma motzi miat mashma. Kiloma. Mashma bezeh mikro memait ha-acher. Mashma memait ha-acher. Marbeu ha-acher. Onesatom. Oso el elozar koin. Elozar haya be-oso ha-eis sigan. At the time of the first... Paraduma, Elazar was the second in command. The first and uh, only time that it was done, that the Torah talks about explicitly, was done through the hands of the Skan, of Elazar, who was the second in command. Avalodorus, eino nasis bisgan. But in the future, this sigan is ineligible. So it's not just like Rashi says, in the future, kol ha-kohanim k'sherim ba. And l'chera, that's the mashmos of the Ramam as well. When it says, af kohen hedyet. But according to Rabbi Nachanan, it may not be done in the future by the sigan. Elo, o kohen gadol, o b'kohen hedyet. Either in the future it must be done by the kohen gadol, or must be done by coin hedyet, but in the middle, the second in command, it is not eligible to be done by him, 
It cannot be done by the person who takes the station of Elazar Cohen as the Sagan, according to Rabbeinu Hanana. So it will not be Kol HaKvanam Sherimba, but the Sagan specifically is invalid and was only valid for the first time. That's how Rabbeinu Hanana learned. Continuing the Gemara, Vehotzi Osa El Mechutz Lamachana Vehotzi Osa Shelo Yotzi Acheres Imo In describing the taking out of the red heifer, it says, and it shall be taken out, but not another animal taken with her. Kedetan, in accordance with the Mishnah, Lo Haisapar Rotze Lotzes If the red heifer was not interested in going out. It was very comfortable in its corral. Lo Ratzalah says, then, Ein Motzin We don't have an Eitzah to take out with it a black cow. Shelo Yomru So that people shouldn't say, ah, they made a black cow for a paraduma. Ve'ein Motzin Aduma And, okay, maybe here, very lucky, and you have another paraduma, a spare, still, you may not take it out to try and coax the one you're trying to shecht. Because people will make another error. They're not going to say it's black, but they're going to say, Shtayim shachtu, shloyom shtayim shachtu. They're going to say, yeah, I was there. They took out two red heifers at once, and they shechted them together. And that's also not allowed. Rebbe Omer, there's another girsa. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Lo minashem huzeh. This is incorrect. Cholik on the Tanakamo that does not agree with this derivation. El mishum shnemar osa, because the Torah says her or it levado, it has to be by itself. The paraduma must be taken by itself, not as a fence, if you will, to prevent error. People thinking, oh. They shechted a black one. Oh, they shechted two at once. No, fundamentally, without any errors, nobody's going to make a mistake. Still, it has to be levado by itself. What is the Tanakama going to do with this? Tanakama, who says that there are concerns, and that's what stops us from finding these creative ways to coax the red heifer out. We can't just, you know, Lasso the red heifer. We can't work the red heifer. So we have to find a way to coax. This is not an eight saw. What, what does that Tanakamo say about Oso? Her, by herself. Man Tanakamo. Who is the Tanakamo? Rabbi Shimini. The first Tana is Rabbi Shimon. The Darish time of the crop. Rabbi Shimon, all of Ashas, is Darish time of the crop. He utilizes a reasoning to shape the halacha, not like Rabbi Yehuda. So, according to Rabbi Shimon, he concedes the verse says osa, but he understands, I'm not sure how, he understands that there's an implicit reason why, and that reason is to restrict people from making this error. So it's it's similar to, to give a marshal, bayiro bayimotze. This is a biblical consideration. It's not a siyog. It's not a rabbinic fence. Learning osa is a drasha gemura, but it's based on a, a certain rationale 
Darish Taima Dekra, he's utilizing the rationale that he understands within the Torah, that the Torah wants to make sure people don't make this mistake, like by Rabbi Matze, don't have the chametz in your house, the Torah tells you this, two losa says, should not see it, should not be found, to ensure a person doesn't come to eat it. So that is a fence, if you will, that the Torah itself makes. So too over here. Osa is Doraisa, with time of the Kra, according to Shimon, lest people come to make these errors and say, Paraduma can be black, or Paraduma can be multiples at once. My benayu, what is the so, a, a debate between Rabbi Shimon and the Tanakamo. A machlokus between, between them will be are you allowed to coax the cow out of the pen with a donkey? Nobody will ever say, you know what, they shechted a donkey for a paraduma. That's too far fetched. There's no havamina that people will make that error. And according to Rabbi Shimon, go ahead. If that's going to help, so do it. According to the Tanakamo, it says Osa, no Darish Tamadikra, it must go out alone, and a donkey may not go out with it. So find some other way to coax it, but sending out a donkey to stimulate the herd activity to start going through the corral is not going to help. Let's catch up on Rashi. Shaloyom Rushtaim Shachatu. According to, we explained, Rabbi Shimon, that it says Osa, and the time of the crop is a concern. People may come to say they slaughtered two animals for Paraduma, even though they really only slaughtered one, but they'll think, I saw, they took out two. The Kaimlon, Shekom Logos Nasus Ima, Postless Osa. And we paskin that any work that is done with the Paraduma invalidates the red heifer. Get it, Nan. Any work done with this red heifer from beginning until the end invalidates it. So that's not an option. We have a drasha later on that it must be slaughtered by itself. You're not allowed to shecht another one with it. The Dorish time of the crop. So, Rabbi Shimon, Darshan's time of the Kra, one of the classic cases, it's really Machlokas in many instances. Rashi is pointing to the case of an Almana, that there are two types of Almanas. She's a widow. You have one who's rich and one who's poor. So, the rich Almana is subject to giving a collateral or taking a collateral from her, according to Rabbi Shimon, whereas if she's poor, then one may not take a collateral from her. Because there's a requirement by a poor almana, she's a widow and she doesn't have much wealth, so you're going to have a circumstance where if you have the collateral and she doesn't have a lot of goods, she's going to need it back. So you've got to return it to her. So, by hanging around with this almana, so even though everything is above, above board and you're just 
following what the Torah says to give her back her collateral when she needs it, every day you're going back and forth by this almana, it's going to cause some kind of tabloid, who knows what. So, not allowed to do that. But that's only a concern by an almana that is poor. Because if she's rich, so she has 10 sets of dishes. There's no need for the creditor to come back every day to give it back to her when she has to cook. Or, you know, give her back her sleeping bag. It's not going to be a problem. She has so much. So be is Darish time of the crow. And it's mechalic between almana, who's rich, versus the almana, who's poor. And Rebuto's cholik. It's not Darish time of the crow. Next Rashi, top of Mem Gimel Manalev. Da'avik chamor bado. According to the first Tana, this would be permitted to coax the red heifer out by sending a donkey with her. Because there's no concern, maybe people will say. No one will ever say that Paraduma is kosher with a donkey. Hopefully. We're not worried about it at least. The Rebbe Aser, Daha Osoxi. But according to Rebbe, that is not Darish time of the crow. He looks at what the Pasik says. It says the Paraduma, she must go out independently. So no Aitsa to send out with a donkey. It's not by herself. Continuing the Gemara. Vishokhat Osa and he shall slaughter it. Shilo Yishot Acheres Imo. So the drasha is that it must be slaughtered by itself, not with another one. And that's the derivation, shachat osa. The verse continues, lefanov, shachat osa lefanov. It must be slaughtered before him. The Rav, according to Rav, daito mimeno. Rav says, what does it mean, shachat osa lefanov before him? That there's no room for hesachadas. There must be a constant focus on the procedure, and he cannot get distracted over throughout the process. That's Rav's interpretation of lefanov, that it be in his consciousness throughout the process. Lishmuel, according to Shmuel, what does it mean lefanov? Shorosa lefanov. Shehezar shochit velazeroi. Shmuel is going to be able to learn this in a more straightforward manner. Shochar Solifanov means under his supervision, and it can be slaughtered before him. And that is why Shmuel said, as we saw earlier, that it would be eligible and valid if the Paraduma was slaughtered by Yezar, by non-Kohen. And that's the simple reading of Lefanov, that it be slaughtered before him under his supervision, but not that it has to be him. So this is Rav and Shmuel Lishitasam, how they're darshaning Lefana. Vilokach Elazar Koin midama be'etzbo, and Elazar Koin shall take from its blood with his finger. Lishmuel la'adure le'Elazar. According to Shmuel, it's going back on Elazar. The Rav havimid achamiut ve'mid achamiut ela le'Rabos. Dafil Koin hadit. So according to Rav, this is a case based on context of Mir Achamiot. So we already know that it's a Lazar. 
So when it says it again, so you have a restriction following a restriction, which then backfires, of course a controlled backfire, that's not an accident, but it's a methodology of the Torah. If it tells you something is in a limited, narrow sense, and then it repeats it, so it tells you the opposite. It tells you a reboot. So it's double, a double negative is a positive, if you will. It's coming to be marbe afilu koin hadith. Let's see Rashi. Vilokach elazar koin bekabalos dama. And the Kisiyat says, Vehazos dama. It's concerning the process of receiving of the blood and the sprinkling of the blood. Lishmuel, Didaik lefonov, Lomar, Shazar kosher leshchita. According to Shmuel, that interprets the verse that says, and it should be slaughtered before him that Elazar has to supervise, but a non-coin is eligible to do the slaughter of the red heifer, So the follow-through, after the Shechita, now you have Kabbalah, the Torah has to tell you that Elazar is back in business, to return it back to Elazar. If it would just say, and he shall take from its blood, the vague pronoun would have implied whoever did the shechita should do the Kabbalah. And that's not true. Cornish Shmuel, the shochit could be a zar, but the Kabbalah must be the coin, so it needs to tell you a lozer. But the Rav, Nami, the Omar, shechita balazari, according to Rav, that requires the shechita to be done by the coin. So, lo the Kabbalah, it was not necessary to write by the receiving of the blood, the next stage, that Elazar, the Kohen, has to do it. And when it is written, it's a restriction following a restriction. We already know we're talking about Elazar. So it must be coming to tell you that you do not need Elazar to do the Kabbalah, but rather any Kohen can do the Kabbalah. Back in the Gemara, and the coin shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the dyed wool. According to Shmuel, even a regular coin can do this. According to Rav, it is necessary. According to Rav, since these processes are not intrinsically tied by themselves to the para, they're the sidekicks, but they're not the para itself, so I would think there's no need for a coin altogether. Kamashmal, therefore, the Torah has to tell you, Velokacha coin, and the coin is doing it. Tirashi. Velokacha coin, eight erv lishmuel, the omak, kabola, vaza, belazar, avksiv ba, coin. According to Shmuel, the process of receiving the blood and the sprinkling of the blood is talking about through a Lazar. So it's written Kohen. It's telling you, Kohen, to, to tell you that you do not need a Lazar, but any Kohen may do the job. So this is an example, as we stated earlier, of the subsequent verse 
coming to overturn the context of the previous verse. And we see this process repeat itself. Many verses share this same feature where you have one set of rules applying to one stage, then the next stage, suddenly that's overturned. According to Rav, it says the Kabbalah may be done by a regular coin. It does not need to be a Lazar. So I wouldn't need another verse to tell you coin. It's obvious. And it's not overturning the context of the previous verse. So why is it necessary in the Pasuk to say Kohen? Just let it be a case of a straightforward flow where it's a continuity. Why does the turn need to say Kohen? If it would have just said, and he, just a vague pronoun, shall take the cedar wood without saying the Kohen, I would have thought that it's not going back on the previous case where a Kohen had yet is eligible to do this. The Kabbalah, I wouldn't have said it's going back on the Kohen who is required to do the receiving of the blood. I would have thought that since it's not intrinsically part of the service of the Paraduma itself, the red heifer, but just the sidekick components, that anybody would be kosher to do it. Therefore, the Torah tells you, Kohen, that it still must be done at the hands of a Kohen. Vechibes begodav hakohen. The pasuk says, Vechibes begodav hakohen v'rochatz b'sar v'mayim, and he shall, the kohen shall rinse his garments and wash his flesh in water. And afterwards he shall come back into the camp. Tomei kohen ad arif, and he shall be ritually impure until the evening. The Gemara says, Bechi huno as a Kohen, in his status of Kehuna, Rashi says, Hai Kohen, Kro Yeseruhu. This verse says, Kohen, Bechibes Begodov, Ha Kohen, and it seems to be superfluous. From context, we could have just said, and he shall wash his clothes, and immerse in the mikvah, wash his flesh. Why does he need to say Kohen? And I would just presume that it's speaking about the previous context. What is it saying, Kohen, in this context? To be somech, Kohen, on his garments. To tell you that the Kohen who is officiating over the process of the Paraduma must be wearing his Big day kehuna, the priestly vestments. Below the big day hall, he cannot be wearing his own private garments, non-sanctified garments. So that is why it says, "Vechibes begodav hakohen, the kohen with the kohanic vestments bechihuno, not with his own private garments." V'tomei kohen ad ha'arev, kohen bechihuno lederes. Rashi, v'tomei kohen ad ha'arev lelamed al parav. This is telling you that the process, the paraduma, 
not just in the time of Elazar, but going forward also requires the priestly vestments. This as well, according to the opinion, that going forward, any coin may officiate over the process of preparing the red heifer. But according to the opinion that going forward, it must be the coin gadol. Now that we say there is a special limited heter, the first time to have the scan do it, but going forward, it must be the coin gadol. So of course he has to be wearing all shmona begadol. He has to be wearing all the vestments of the coin gadol. He can't be wearing his regular private garments. That's obvious if you say it requires coin gadol. So, this is a matter that can be derived from a fortiori logic. It's it's obvious. It's true. If it says you need coin gadol, then of course he needs to be wearing all of the priestly vestments. But nonetheless, the Torah went out of its way to write the verse to give it, make it explicit. Bihihihuno. Rashi. Does not have a drasha of chukam yamikipurim to say chuka chuka that just like zos chuka satera is it, it, it has a shame chuka so too it's compared to the chuka of avodas yamikipurim that must be done by coin gadol both should be coin gadol after the first one so according to the other opinion. So it goes well. They need a drasha to say that the Kohen, Hedyet, who's officiating subsequently, must be wearing big dekuhuna. And a pure man shall gather as Efer Hapara, the ash of the red heifer. Venyach Ish. And he shall place it. It says, Ish, a man, to tell you that a non coin is eligible to do this job. So when it says, Va'osaf Ish, it could have just said, Va'osaf, and he gathered. But the fact that it says, And a man ga- shall gather, as long as he's pure, gather the ashes of the para means even a non coin. Tahar, when it says that he must be pure, to say even a woman may do the asifa, the gathering of the ash, of the red heifer. It says, He shall place this ash outside of the encampment in a pure place. This is coming to tell you a requirement who can place this gathered ash in a place outside of the encampment that is pure must be somebody who has a developed intellect. It's to the exclusion of someone who's either deaf and dumb or mentally insane or a minor that all of these cases do not have das lehoniach to place it in a manner that is with care. 
So they're ineligible for this process. Let's see Rashi. Ish. Lahachir Zhazar. It says Ish to tell us that a non coin is eligible to gather in the ash. Mishum de la'eo mine airi bikoin. Ksiv hocha ish. In the previous stage, we were talking about a coin. So here it says ish, it says a man, to tell us that it's overturning. And it's actually being machir, and it will be kosher, valid, if a non coin does the gathering. Di'i kosu ve'osa es para. If it would have just said vaguely, and the ash of the heifer shall be gathered, have amina coin. I would have thought that this too must be done by a priest. Because it's coming on the heels of a verse that did require the work to be done by a coin. Therefore, the verse here specifies ish in a broader sense, even a non coin. And the next part of the Gemara, Tahor, Rashi says, If it was coming to exclude one who was ritually impure, Pshita. That's obvious. The Chatas The Torah already told us that the Paradum is called a Chatas, a sin offering. Certainly, whoever is engaging with a Chatas, which has a shame carbon, so they must be in a state of the utmost ritual purity. There's no question, and it's superfluous to say Tahar to tell us that. Once the Torah has already referred to Paradum as Chatas, it must be telling us something else. Tahar, not only Ish, but even Isha. Tanan Hosom. It was taught over there. Mishnah. Hakol Ksherin Lekadish. Everyone is eligible to sanctify, as we saw earlier, Lekadish. Rashi over here says, Losis Mayim Al Ho'efer So the Rashash takes out the word Cheres. doesn't need to be earthenware. But surprisingly, it says to put the water on the ash. Really, the water is placed into the vessel first, and the ash is put on top and then mixed in. That's what Rashi said before. That's what it means, the process of Kiddush, to sanctify. So, Tsar Iyun, why over here Rashi is defining Lakadish in the reverse? I saw somebody say that it's talking about Shita Sribi Shimon. I don't know what the machlokis is about. But I'll go upon him. The idea that is being stated is everybody is eligible to do the Kiddush process to the exclusion of Chut Micheres Shot Vekotan. Rabbi Yehuda Marshir Bekotan. Rabbi Yehuda disagrees with the Tanakhama. And he says that a Koton is eligible to do the placing, uh, to do the Kiddush. Rabbi Huda says, even a katan. And he disagrees concerning Isha. And Rabbi Huda says, unlike the Tanakamo, that a woman is ineligible, as is an Andragonist, who is a Suffolk Isha. These are ineligible to do the Kiddush. My time with the Rabbanon. What's the reasoning of the Rabbanon? Where are they getting their drasha from, receive in accordance with the verse, and they shall take 
for the impure from the ash, the, the dust of the burning of the chatos, which is referring to the paradoma, hanoch those that are invalid for gathering, they are also invalid for Kiddush. And those that are eligible to gather the ash are also eligible to do the Kiddush process of mixing the ash with the water. That's according to the Rabbanon, the first opinion. Rabbi Yehuda, who argues, he disagrees. He says, if that's what the Torah meant to teach you, it should have said, Velokach, not Velokhu. It should have said in the singular. My Velokhu, why does it say plural? And they shall take. Even a Kata. That is invalid over there. So he's creating an asymmetry. Rebuta says, do not strictly compare the process of gathering the ash to the process of burning the ash. I'm sorry, do not equate the process of gathering the ash to the process of kiddush, of sanctification, by mixing the ash with the water. Don't do that. Because it says, Velokhu, Velokhu, that it's some ribui, afilu cotton. That a cotton can be involved. Hosom. Hocha. Kosher. So the the cotton whose parcel over there is here kosher. Let's catch up on Rashi. Vilakhu letame basar vasof ish tahar ksiv zuhi avoda sheacher asifa. So the taking of uh, for the impure. After the ash has been gathered by a pure man, it says, th this is the avoda, subsequent to the gathering is the kiddush. And it says, they shall take them. And Amorim Basifa, who is included in the process of gathering, a non-coin and a woman, and to the exclusion of Chershot Vekotam. That's Shitas Tanakama, the Rabbana. Mkein hoil ad kai, name of Elokach, Rebuto disagrees. It says, if it's going on the previous, to maintain the previous setup of who's kosher, who's in, ineligible to continue the process, it should have just said in the singular, Bilokach, whoever did before can do now. By the gathering the ash, it said it in the singular. So if it's meant to maintain a continuity, it should have used the same singular. So that's why he disagrees. Isha Minole Back in the Gemara, how does he know the din of a woman? Vinosan Vilo Vinasno. It says, and he shall place, and not she shall place. That's what Rabbi Yudah holds. So he passes by an Isha. Virabonon, they disagree. Ikas Rahmana Vilokah Vinosan, they disagree with this premise that it should be maintained in the singular, if it would have made a continuity in the singular, I would have thought that there would be a requirement that one person do both procedures of gathering the ash and then mixing the ash, the kiddush, mixing the ash together with the water. 
and they wanted specifically to avoid that error, so it switched and said singular on one and plural on the other. But now that it's coming to change from who is eligible to do one versus the other. To avoid this problem, the Torah says, and they shall take the next step, plural. And what if the Torah would have just written in a plural on both sides, on the first step of gathering the ash, don't say singular, say plural, and then continue saying plural on the Kiddush. I would have thought that both procedures require multiple participants to, to do both. Therefore, the Torah specifically, deliberately switched from singular to plural to tell you that even if two do the first step of gathering and the second step of Kiddush was only one, that's also fine. But according to the Rabbanon, there's no change in who is eligible to do the gathering of the ash. That's going to be the same group that is eligible to do the Kiddush, the sanctification, mixing the ash into the water. Or the water into the ash. Velokach Ezov Vitoval Bemayim. Let's actually see Rashi. Isha Minole. Chain and Dragonus Mishum Suffolk Isha. I always had the, the Drasha according to according to the Rabbi Yehuda. So it says, Vinosa, not Vinosna, Isha Minole, the Chain and Dragonus, Mishum Savisha, Rabbonon, Amilchale, Olam, Adele Elkai, Veha Deloxi, Vilokach, Loshniochit. That which the Torah does not write, and he shall take in a singular sense. Dexi, Vilokach, Vinosan, if it would have said singular, which would be a more precise continuity, that the one who gathers, does the sanctification, until one takes the ash, and he himself, shall place it on the water. Therefore the Torah comes to avoid that error, and tells you they shall take, even if two take. At the, continuing the Gemara, and and he shall take the hyssop, v'tovmaim, and dip it into the water, ish tahar, a pure man. L'rabonon ish v'lo isha. Rabonon darshan, that it means a man and not a woman, who is doing the dipping of the hyssop into the water, it is a man. Tahar l'hachshir sakotan. Why does it say pure? As we said before, we already know pure. Pure is required when dealing with a chatos, which the Torah calls the mechatos, the waters of the red heifer. So, Torah is coming to be mashir sakata, to tell you a cotton, a miner, may do the, this process of dipping the hyssop into the water. Uder of Yehuda, corner of Yehuda, what is, has he darshan? Ish. It says, lokach ezov tovab ish tar. What does the Pasuk say ish for? To exclude cotton. It says, ish velo cotton, a miner is invalid. Why does it say pure? To tell you that a woman can do the dipping of the hyssop into the red heifer water. It says tahar, 
to tell you that a cotton, the past Levi Kiddush, that he, a cotton, is invalid for the previous step of Kiddush. He cannot mix, a minor may not mix, according to Tanakama, the Rabbana, a minor may not mix the ash and water together, but is eligible to do the subsequent step of dipping the hyssop into the water with ash. The Rabbi Yehuda, according to Rabbi Yehuda, it says the converse, that a woman is invalid for the first step of Kiddush, of mixing the ash into the water. And he says, a cotton, a minor, is eligible to do it. This verse is also coming to overturn the previous and say the opposite. That a man, but not a minor, and someone who is pure, to tell you, a woman who is pure may do the dipping process as well. And Rashi points out, we're pushed to say that for whatever reason, as I said, it seems to be a black box, but for whatever reason, this verse, following on the heels of a previous verse, is not subject to continuity. For some reason, it's coming to overturn what was said previously. Because if you would understand that this verse is a continuity of the previous verse, then Rabbi Yehuda should have the verse just be quiet and not tell you these drushas. Just keep it the same as what we had by the process of Kiddush. Say the same thing for the, the Tova. So he also is agreeing that for whatever reason this verse is an overturning verse, and therefore there's a requirement to, for the Torah to tell you, again, who is eligible and who is not eligible, even though it's the same as the previous verse. Mezve. We have a kasha. Hakol k'sherin lahazos, chutz mitumtum vandragnus, ve'isha ve'koton sheish bodas, isha meseato umaza. So this is Mishnah, in para, everybody is eligible to do the sprinkling with the exception of a tumtum and an androgynous and an isha. A tumtum is a sophic isha, androgynous has simone isha and an isha, as well as a cotton sheish bodas, but ishto meseato mazet velo polygribiuda. So Tanakama says this. And we do not find Rabbi arguing. So you have the, the woman in a supporting role over here for a cotton that has das. So he's a minor that does have the developed thinking capacity. A woman can have a supporting role and the cotton will do the sprinkling. We do not find Rabbi Yehuda being cholik. Let's continue in the Gemara. Amr Abayi, Kivan to Amamar, Mashma Motsi, Miad Mashma, Umashma Mamela, Polig. Let's see Rashi, Kivan Amamar. Dara Korchach, Lo Motsis Lamemar, Bahai, the Mashma Melahu. This verse is clear, as Rashi said before. We're pushed to say, based on Rabbi Yehuda's Drasha, that this verse is not following. In the context of the previous verse, 
And for some reason, we need to have a new drasha to tell you, even though this verse is coming to exclude a continuity from the previous verse, we have drushas to tell you that, in fact, it actually is the same. So that is what Rabbi Huda is going to, to learn. That's the way he's learning this verse. So Abai is saying, So it it's, must be that he argues. Rabbi Huda must argue here, even if you have a Mishnah that doesn't explicitly tell us that he argues, he must argue here based on how he understands the verse. Let's do Tosus over here, some Tosus in. Akok Sherin Le Kadesh, second Tosus. Pirush Rashi, Hamayim Al Eifar. Right, anybody can do the Kiddush, the sanctification. Rashi says over here, putting the water on the ash, which is really different than Rashi said earlier. Masechus Para, Bekam Aduchti, Mashma, Shayinosnin Eifar Lamayim, which Rashi himself said earlier. On Membezim and Aleph, that what is the Kiddush process? And the Ramam also says that the Kiddush process is placing the ash on the water. What do you do at this verse that says, and you shall take for the impure from the ash of this burned chatos, and place on it pure waters, living waters, into the vessel? This verse sounds like what Rashi is saying over here. Placing the water on top of the ash. And he shall place in it, not that it's telling you what to place in the vessel first, and what to put on the bottom, what to put on top, but rather, and he shall place in it with, uh, for it. To, to place this living water into the vessel for the purpose of putting the ash. And it, to the contrary, sounds like the water must be directly contacting the vessel. And the ash shall be placed on top of the living waters that are in the vessel up above. Let's see. Ventosus vinosan velo nosna. Avagav de chol haterakula veloshan zachar namra. Even though in general the Torah is written in the masculine, and we don't usually understand that it's meant to be specifically masculine. It's generic. We don't exclude women typically when something is written in the masculine form. Unless it's written a man specifically, then we'll say it means a man and not a woman. So why over here is there drasha, corner of v'nosan nosna, this case is different. Since the verse is deviating from the path that was said previously, in the previous stage of the Asif, the gathering of the ash, it said, and they shall take, in the plural form, and then by the Kiddush it says, and he shall place. So we have already a jarring transition so, Therefore, Rebuta says that it is Nitan Daresh to say Vinosan and he shall place. It's focusing on this because of the transition and telling you that it is him specifically who does the placement and not a woman. Let's see Rashi Isha Nisadosa, I'm sorry, Tosus. 
Isha Sadasa. Perk Basur Mesechus Para Bitus Sefta Mefarish Kesa Mesadasa. The last chapter in the Tosefta of Para. It explains how shall she help him. That she can hold the vessel of water. Even while he is sprinkling. So you have the woman holding the vessel. It's holding the mechatos inside of it. And the cotton is dipping in the azov and sprinkling. And that type of siyo, that type of assistance, does not invalidate. And it's not necessary to say the time of dipping the hyssop. That at the time of sprinkling is a bigger chiddush, it's more of a novelty to say that that's not an invalidation, than at the time of the dipping of the hyssop into the water. The verse that we derive the validation of a minor is written by Tvila, by the dipping. According to the Rabbanon, so it says pure to tell you that a minor is eligible. And the sprinkling is derived from the dipping. Because they are connected by Hekish. In the last chapter of Para, Mishnah Yud, it concludes, If she holds on to his hand, the woman is holding the miner's hand, even in a time of sprinkling, not only in the time of dipping, if she holds his hand, it's invalid, but even in the time of sprinkling, which is a bigger chiddush in this context, to say it's possible, if she's holding his hands, it would invalidate the process. He was not sure about this, but to sefta mashma, to hazo, have it, ribusa tfei, He understands that the sprinkling is a bigger chiddush, to say that the cotton is kosher, then by the tvila, by the dipping, so when Mishnah is speaking about the woman's helping too much, that it's invalid, it should have said it, even at the time of Tvila. Nearly, Dilokasha. Tosa says, I don't think it's a problem. That which the, the limit is, that if a woman is helping too much, she's holding his hand, and that invalidates. She's holding the minor's hand. It's invalidated. It's because it's as though the woman is doing it. And certainly the psul is more obvious if a woman does the tvilo, the dipping of the hyssop into the mechados, it's more obvious than the sprinkling. Because the verse, that we exclude the ability of the woman to do the process, is talking about the Ksiv. It's written by the dipping. But telling you that a cotton is eligible, it's a bigger chiddish by the sprinkling. Because the verse that tells you a cotton, a minor, is eligible, it's it's talking about the tvila. So he doesn't have this issue. Vilo 
this is working on what Abaya tells us. Mashma Mamela Polig. So clearly Rabuda is arguing. Says Tosus Temohu. This is a wonder. It's, it's taught in the Brysa, and it's a Sefta, explicitly. If you work with the Gra, he takes out the word Mashir and he puts in the word Posel. That Rabbi Yehuda says explicitly that it's invalid, because a cotton is invalid. So the Kasha is, why are we grasping at straws to try and eke out a proof that Rabbi Yehuda argues, and he apostles? It, it's an explicit Brysa. Maybe the one asking the Kasha did not hear about the Brysa. We do find in various places that an Amara does not need to know every Brysa. It's taken as a given. Every Amara knows every Mishnah. But there are Brysas that can be Nistam from Amarayim. And the Pure shall sprinkle on the impure. Tahor, mechlal shutame, limenat fuyom shekasher So this indicates to you that a tvuyom, that there is some residual impurity, and a tvuyom is eligible. He is this case where he is immersed, but has not had hair of shemesh, has not had the setting of the sun to finalize that purity. He is eligible to officiate the procedure of paradum of the red heifer. Amar Rabbi Asi v'chiyavu ba Rabbi Yochanan v'shlokish b'para. When Rabbi Asi says that when Rabbi Yochanan v'shlokish were working through the sugya of para, lo masmino el b'mad masik ta'alo ibekar. They, it's a colorful way of saying, what did they conclude from from their work through the sugya? The Rashi says, "Lo maskmine kiloma, lo hayu malamitocha davar chidush." They were not able to extract from their plumbing the depths of the sugi of para a novelty. Leos yecholin lachos b'shitasa laashvos shehe mikrosea kulam motzim zeh miadzeh. Oh, kulam miskaimim zeh acherzeh. They were not able to find any way pushing or pulling. To have all of the verses, either in in concert with one another, that each verse is presumed to maintain this, the same parameters as the previous verse, unless you have some uh, drusha to the contrary. Nor were they able to say each verse is by default contrary to the previous verse in terms of its parameters. The next stage, they weren't able to do that. It, it seems to be a black box. The colorful way of saying this is that they were only able to come up with that which a fox kicks up with its feet when it prowls on a plowed field. So, presumably a fox goes through the field in a manner that is not terribly... Uh, terribly rough on the fields, not kicking up tons of dirt. So basically, it's a way of saying not much. They weren't able to to make heads or tails of this in a way that was all in one fashion.
Rather, they said, sometimes this way and sometimes that way. As we started, you find some verses where, for, for some reason, the subsequent verse is presumed by default to be a shift from the previous verse in terms of parameters, who may do what, and sometimes the subsequent verse is maintaining as a default what was given in the previous verse. Tanya Tanaka made Rabbi Yochanan. Was taught before Rabbi Yochanan, Kol hashchitos ksherus bizar. All shchitos are kosher, are eligible to be done by a non-coin. Chutz mishel par, to the exclusion of the red heifer, which must be done by a coin. That's what this was taught before Rabbi Yochanan. Amar le Rabbi Yochanan, book tanya lebara. Rabbi Yochanan told him off. He said, go and teach this outside. You can't teach it inside the base mattress because it's wrong. Lo matzina shchitos bizar psula. We do not ever find that a non coin invalidates the service if he does the shrita. And did Rabyochan not find a Tano? Did he not pay attention to, to, to find such a shita? Not only to somebody else that taught this did he discard the shita that para, the red heifer, must be slaughtered by a coin. Even his own Rebbe, he did not give credence to that statement. The Amr Rabbi Shimon Ben Yehud said in the name of his Rebbe, Rabbi Shimon Ben Yehud Psula. He said in the name of his Rebbe that this very teaching, that if the para, aduma, the red heifer, is shechted, slaughtered by a non-coin, it's invalid. But he immediately followed that, and I say, that it is valid. We never find that any sacrificial slaughter is invalid by non coin even para. That is the conclusion of Rabbi Yochanan. So just to be Messiah, we had different shizas. We had Rav and Shmuel, which had different people taking up those positions. Right, Rav said that Shechita Bazar is psula by para. And we had Shmuel that said it would be kosher, just needs to be supervised by a coin. And Rabbi Yochanan says it's never invalid. So how do we paskin? So Rashi on the Pasik says, Zar shochit, Vishokhar osar, osar, Zar shochit, a zar, a non-coin can shech, the paraduma, says the Nitziv, a mitavar. Zudas Shmuel, this is the opinion of Shmuel. The halacha is in accordance with Rav. So, the Netziv is pushing back on what Rabbi Yochanan said and says, Matsino, Matsino, that Shechita of the Parah requires a Kohen and not Izar. That is the opinion. You ask the Netziv how to pass in. He says, We pass in like Rav, which is not so shocking in, in the general context. That we would pass like, like Rav over here. If you were guessing, that would be a fair guess. Does seem to be perhaps uh, in accordance with the Mishpat. How does the Rambam paskin? So that's interesting. So the Rambam says in Hilchos Para, Perk Shlishi, Halacha Beis, he's going to quote a part of Halacha here. It says, Akofin Esapara, Chevel, Shalmagog, 
Orient the cow in the right way, the red heifer. And the coin also has to be oriented the right way. He must slaughter with his right hand and receive the blood in his left hand. So the Ramam does have the Kohen doing the Shechita. That's how he describes the process. And if you look in Perg Dalet Halacha Yudzayim, he says, Kol Maisa Paro, all the process, how to do each step of the Paraduma, Mitchilabad Sov, from beginning to end, Eino Elabiyom, it must be during the day, and by the males of the priesthood. So, Kohen is doing the job. That's what the Ramam says. So, we have twice in Hilchas Para that the Ramam says the Kohen is doing the Shechita specifically and everything. But does the Ramam hold like Rav or not? Well, if you look in Psuli Muktashin, let's see what he says. Perik Aleph Halacha Beis. Ve'im Ova Vashachat Hazevach Kasher. Ve'chein Par Koin Godol Shel Yom Hakipurim. Afal Pishenem Abo Vashachat Aaron. Even though by the Par and Yom Kippur of the Koin Godol, it says an Aaron shall slaughter that. Im Shachtozar Kasher. If a non-Koin did the slaughter, even on Yom Kippur, it's kosher. Af paraduma, even the red heifer, zar kshera. If a non-coin shechted it, it is valid. bezar. Like Rabbi Yochanan. So, in Hilchus Pesulim Mekdoshin, the Ramam is telling us, like Rabbi Yochanan, you never have a shechita that's invalid, ever, if it's done by a zar. But in Hilchus Parah, he tells us twice who is doing the Shechita, a coin. So, Lachera, he's learning. L'halacha, like Rabbi Yochanan, that's pretty clear. But Meidach Gisa, he's only telling us in terms of the L'chachila, it, it's done by a coin. When he tells us how to do it, he doesn't uh, give us other options. It's just not invalid if a non-coin does it. That l'chera is how the Ramam is paskening. Like, like Rabbi Yochanan, which is l'chera not like the way the Nitziv is paskening. 